Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. This week, we're going to continue on in our study. I know it's a, our Independence Day study uh, service, but uh, it's, it's uh, something that we can, uh, I think, appreciate our freedom, something that we can talk about freedom uh, this morning in our study. And so, a uh, very, very important point. But last week, I want to remind you what we, lo- what we looked at last week uh, were a couple of things. Number one, reconciliation is cause for rejoicing. Um, we talked about these life points that uh, man, if you have been reconciled to God, uh, we should be rejoicing. And, and not only that, a reconciliation uh, is a humbling reality that, man, we are reconciled with God only through what God did. Nobody's good. Nobody deserves it. Nobody can work their way to that place of reconciliation. God made the way. And so uh, just some, some important points about reconciliation. We talked a little bit about our human relationships uh, making sure that we're, we are reconciled uh, in, within our powers. Uh, but again, the opportunity God's given us to reconcile or be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Tell others how they can be reconciled to God and the importance of that. So uh, this, week, this week we're going to move forward in our study and uh, see what God has for us. And so let's pray and we'll do that. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. And again, for just the, the blessings we have as Americans. God. We can never thank you enough. We can never uh, praise you enough. We realize that all good gifts come from above, and we realize this, uh, this gift of freedom is, is just that. And uh, this morning, as we look into your word and we look to hear from you, Lord, uh, I ask that our hearts would be ready, uh, that you would help us to ready our hearts, God, that uh, just as Brother Jeffrey prayed a while ago, if there's distractions, if there's things that maybe are weighing on our minds or we're thinking about that's coming up, God, we'd just be able to set that aside. Uh, for just in the next several minutes, God, just set it aside and focus on you, listening to what you have for us and applying what, what we do here, God. And I pray that um, you would move in this place and, again, that you'd be glorified. Father, if there's somebody here that's in darkness, if somebody's here in, they're in bondage to sin, that this morning uh, you would open their eyes and they would see, they would hear the gospel, the good news that there is a way of escape or there's a uh, there's uh, a debt that's been paid. Their, their freedom has been purchased already. And so I pray that that would happen this morning. They would give their life to you and experience that freedom. Lord, we pray that you'd move now, and we'll, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebrating freedom this week, as uh, of course we've already experienced the patriotic songs, and uh, this morning we didn't have Sunday school, and, and we've got just this one service. We're not having uh, evening service. Again, uh, many of you uh, are, are going to see fireworks this week or have cookouts maybe this afternoon. Uh, but again, a lot of things to celebrate uh, concerning our liberty. Again, you can never, I think, put into words or even put into a certain type of package to say uh, this is how much, Ameri- how much our freedom is a blessing to us. I, I know I can't. I, I can't put into words. I can't even think the thoughts. We just live in freedom as Americans. And so it's just hard to say that blessing. Again, the closest thing that I can do to, I guess, feel or appreciate or, or uh, qualify what I, what I feel or, or what freedom means is to go to like a foreign country where there's it's third world conditions and, and, and just realize how amazingly 
blessed we are. Not just in, in the, te- uh, the temporal, the tangible, uh, the, the, the material things, but in just the ability to be free. And uh, even to do what we're doing this morning uh, is just an amazing blessing. And so, um, but I, I, with all that being said, from the very beginning of our, even our nation, there's a lot who have understood and a lot have misunderstood the value of what freedom is. And the reason why I believe some of those who knew the value of freedom is because they knew what bondage meant, right? They, they understood they were coming from tyranny in, in England. They were coming from uh, oppression. They were coming from pla- a place where they were, they were seeking to have the freedom that you and I don't know otherwise. And so, uh, again, they understood the great value that freedom uh, would mean, and, and, and it did mean. Once set free, once they had the freedom, again, they could appreciate that liberty at a different level uh, than I think many of us appreciate liberty. Uh, if you've never known that kind of bondage, if you've never known that type of tyranny, if you've never known that type of oppression, then it's hard to really understand how good liberty is. How, how, how amazing freedom is. Uh, the inscription on Plymouth Rock Monument is a challenge to that. It's a challenge to us. Uh, it's a challenge to uh, what was established when the pilgrims, when, uh, when America was founded and, and, and freedom was, was the, the purpose, and primarily religious freedom, uh, mind you. Uh, but this is what it says on, on Plymouth Rock. This spot, mark, this spot marks the final resting place of the pilgrims of the Mayflower. In weariness and hunger and cold, fighting the wilderness and burying their dead in common graves that the Indians should not know how many perished. They here laid the foundations of a state in which all men for countless ages should have liberty to worship God in their own way. All who pass by and see this stone, remember, and dedicate yourselves anew to the resolution that you will not rest until this lofty ideal shall have been realized throughout the earth. What lofty ideal? That those should live in liberty to worship God. Freedom is so valuable. Again, when you understand what freedom is, and you understand the burden of bondage, liberty is a great blessing to be appreciated. Our study brings us to, I think, another dramatic twist, if you will, uh, that we're going to see and uh, we're going to see some truths about freedom, some truths about bondage, and hopefully grab um, a life point, at least for us to take away uh, as we're celebrating freedom this week. So uh, let's look in Genesis chapter 44, if you have your Bibles there. We're going to read the entire chapter, so don't fall asleep on me, okay? Uh, <laughs> I'll try to, try to stop a little bit along the way, but uh, it, it's an interesting part of the story. Many of you have been here and you know what's going on, uh, but... What has happened is uh, the brothers have come into the, the, the dwelling place of Joseph. He invited them in to dine. That's what we talked about last week, that uh, reconciliation is, is, uh, is a humbling reality. Uh, he invited them in to dine. He, he killed uh, a sacrifice or, or killed a, an animal so that there, there would be a, an opportunity. We looked at the parallels in the New Testament, even with Jesus there. And um, again, the brothers, they, they were married. They uh, they, they, they had that time with Joseph. Now they're about to leave. Now they're going away. And this is where we pick up. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his, in his sack's mouth. Now, 
But again, if we're looking at parallels, that's exactly the way that the Lord deals with us, right? He gives us so much. Sometimes we go through negative things. Sometimes we go through loss. Sometimes when we deal with difficult circumstances, it's hard for us to remember the abundance of blessings that God gives us in our life. But they had just been in the presence of Joseph. They had just dined with him. And many, many times that's exactly how it happens to us. When we spend time with God, when we're in his presence, when we are dining with the Lord, we walk away from those encounters and we feel like we have been filled to the brim. If we're there in the right, in the right heart. And so, again, he fills every man, puts money back in, his, in, in their, their, their saddle, and, and he says this, but look what happens. And he put my cup, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, which was Benjamin, and his corn money. And, and so the servant did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Now, this is an interesting part of the story because it looks like a little bit of deception. If you know uh, and have been here, you know who Joseph's father is, right? Jacob. If you've been here the entire time, you know that where this story started was us going back and looking, Joseph basically watching a, a family video, a home video of how his, his family or where his grandparents came and his father came from and, and seeing the trickery that Jacob had and, and stealing the birthright and deceiving his father and, and all those kind of things. And so uh, some would say at this point, well, it looks like the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I mean, Joseph's about to trick his own brothers uh, for something but I, I would say it's not even a pre, uh, this is not even a point just a side message uh, this I believe shows a couple of things um, God doesn't use trickery God doesn't use uh, anything to manipulate us uh, but it reveals something about again if we're looking at parallels it reveals something about the desire of God with us Joseph wanted his brothers there he knew that he wanted to see his father. He knew that he wanted the full reconciliation. He knew that, that he wanted everybody, everyone that was in his family to be there. Again, if we're looking at parallels, that's how he's not willing that any should perish, God says. God wants everybody to come into his house. If you remember the story in the New Testament, if you're familiar with it, Jesus talked about a supper, and a, and a, and a, and a Lord made a supper, and he said, go out and, and bid everybody. He said, hey, we've done it, and, 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 no, and there's still room. So go out in the highways and hedges and bid them to come in. And they said, we, we've done that. He said, then, then ask the, the poor, the halt, the blame, uh, the, the maimed. Make them all come in because I want my house full. And again, if we're looking at that, we see the desire that God wants us in his presence. Now, Joseph is doing it. This is man, of course, Joseph being a man, doing it in a little manipulative, manipulative way in that he's putting his own cup in the sack of Benjamin. The reason why is because he's going to send his steward that we're going to see to catch up to the caravan and cause them to come back and basically have them captive uh, for the purpose of, of being there with his brother. So this is what happens. As soon as the morning was light, men were sent away, they and their asses, and they were gone out of the city, and not yet afar off, Joseph said to his steward, up, go follow after them. They went... Uh, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Why have you done evil when nothing but good has been done to you? Is not this, uh, is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Which is an interesting story. Again, shows the humanity, shows the sin of mankind, uh, but divining, you know, being able to see uh, future things and, and, and stuff like that. You have done evil in, in so doing, and he overtook them, and he spake unto them, these same words, and they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? Why are you saying these things? God forbid 
that thy servant should do according to this thing. We, we didn't do this. There's no way we took his cup. We've not repaid evil uh, for good. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. He said, we, if, you, if you remember, we had money put back in our sacks. We came back, and when we got back, we showed you. We brought you the money back that was there. How then should we steal out of our Lord's house silver or gold? Why would we do that? Why would we steal when we brought back what was, give, or what was in our sacks to begin with? That's not what we've done. With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's bondmen. So again, a, a willing surrender of their freedom. Say, listen, we've not done this. You're accusing of something that we haven't done. And so he, the, they say to the, the steward, so here's the deal. I, I promise you we haven't taken from, from the Lord, from our Lord. But if you search us and you find the cup, then not only will that person be put to death, but all of us will become his servants, his slaves. It's an interesting thing. Sometimes we speak without full knowledge, right? Sometimes we just kind of <laughs> didn't know what was going on. Verse 10, and he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, you shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man a sack. They just knew. Don't you hate it whenever you are, you are prideful in what you believe you know is right? And you only come to find out that you're wrong. I'm sure not, nobody in here has done that before. I have done that. I'll admit I've done that before. And it is, it's a, a humbling experience when you do that. But you can imagine in your minds what's going on. Just, get off these donkeys. Get your, everybody take your sacks down. You know, look, look in your bags and show them that, that we haven't stolen this. And they're going through, going through, and everybody's like, I don't have the cup. Why are we doing this? And pulling off, you know, looking through there. It's not mine. I told you I didn't have it. We had to get down, take all these, these saddlebags off, and, and this whole thing. You're, acu- you're falsely accusing us. Why are, you, why are you making us do this? And everybody's looking, and they're going down the line. Next thing you know... He searched and began at the eldest, left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Uh Uh-oh. Then they rent their clothes. They knew what it meant, right? Because they knew what the agreement was. Judah knew what he had said to Jacob when they left. Look, you can blame me if we don't come back with Benjamin. Well, he just knew, they knew exactly what was just said. He can die now. The one that has the cup will die. Everybody else is going to stay a servant. So not only is Benjamin not coming back, he's going to be put to death, and all of them are not coming back to Jacob as well. So they rent their clothes. They, they tore, and they laid in every man his ass, and they returned to the city. They threw their saddlebags back on, and they went back to the city. They had no choice. Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house because he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground, throwing themselves at his mercy, falling face first to the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? A little trickster here. Didn't you know, or what you not, that such a a man as I can certainly divine? Don't you know that I can see things? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? I hate it when you run into things like that. You know, when you know you're wrong, you don't have anything to say, and that's what you say. What can I say? I don't know. I messed up. I got nothing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? 
God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. If you've been here the last few weeks and, and you've seen this, we've talked about that. We saw, we saw even how, how they felt guilty before the, the presence of the judge. They, that the grace that was given to them brought out that, that conviction of sin, and that's what happens in our lives too. When we're wrong and we experience God's grace, it's like we stand there and conviction of our, of our faults comes to the surface, and that's exactly what's going on. He said, you know what? We haven't necessarily repented. We've acknowledged that we messed up with what we did with Joseph. We acknowledge that we have sinned before God. And now it seems as if, and I don't understand how, it seems as if we've taken your cup, which doesn't make sense, but we haven't. And I don't know what to say. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. He goes on to say, and he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Wow. Another expression of grace, another expression, uh, expression of mercy. They had already said what they, they would do. This guy would die. The rest of them would be servants of Joseph. But here in Joseph's, Joseph's presence, he says, here's the deal. This one who has the cup, he stays. He doesn't die. He'll be my servant. All of the rest of you can go back to your father. You would think the threat of bondage, you would think the threat of, of being not, going ever, not ever going back to your father again uh, for, for, for Benjamin, you know, you would think that uh, the, the, the threat of not doing that, I'm sorry, and going back to your father would be like, yeah, we're out of here, see you, Benjamin. You know, remember, Benjamin was the very youngest. He was the squirt. He was the, he was the one that, again, now that Joseph's not on the scene, he gets picked on. But you know what happens, right? It's not going to go like that. It's not see you later, Benjamin. Because again, we know what happened uh, before they went back with Benjamin. So look what he says. Judah comes near unto him. Interesting that it's Judah again. Remember, Judah had the plan to sell Joseph away. And said, oh my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let me, can, I, can I come up to you and, and talk to you in private? And let not thy anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? So he's having this private conversation with Joseph. And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead. He was talking about Joseph. And he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou sayest thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we, and we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father because if he should leave his father, his father would die. He loves him. Joseph's gone and now all he has from Rachel is Benjamin. And if Benjamin leaves and doesn't come back, our father's not going to be able to bear it. And, and thou sayest to thy servants, except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up to thy servant, up to thy servant my father, we told him, the words of my Lord. And our father said, go again and buy, uh, buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down because if we don't have our little brother with us, he won't let us see his face except our youngest brother be with us. Verse 27, and thy servant, my father said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me and I said, surely he's torn into pieces. Talking about Joseph. And I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, he's telling Joseph, explaining here, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. 
and thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father. He's talking, Judah said, I, I, I became the guarantee for him, saying that if I don't bring him back to you, then I'll bear the blame forever. Now therefore I pray, verse 33, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad not be with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. I don't know if you caught this in that whole chapter. How many times Judah referred to him, his brothers, and his father as servants. He, had, he was, of course, eating crow, but we see a lot of, uh, of the, the use of servants and, and, and bondmen. And, and the talking about bondage here. Judah referred to himself and his family over and over as the servants of Joseph, which is, again, another uh, ironic twist, knowing what the dreams were. <laughs> Yet at the threat of Benjamin being in bondage, Jacob losing his only other son by Rachel, again, it wasn't something that Judah was willing to face and to deal with. So what did he do? What did Judah, the one who was the guarantee, the one who said, listen, it's on me. I'm the responsible. What did, what did he do in this moment? We saw. He gave himself up so that the others could go free. He gave himself up. He was willing to give his freedom up. He was willing to give up his blessings so that specifically Benjamin could go free. And in this, we see the price and the high value of freedom. The cost that Judah was willing to pay to ensure his younger brother's freedom. It's hard to imagine the many lives that have been offered up throughout our nation's history to ensure that freedom continues on. That you and I can sit here this morning with liberty. We're indebted to them. Not only to them, but to their families as well. Even more difficult to imagine is the price paid that gave us spiritual liberty. I, I don't know what's more concerning or disheartening today, the, the misunderstanding of freedom, the misuse of freedom, the abuse of freedom, or the lack of appreciation for freedom, or all of the above. I don't know what's more disheartening, but, but when we understand that, that price, prices have been paid for our national freedom, and most importantly, our, our spiritual freedom, then it should do a couple things. It should remind us of some stuff. It should, it should help us see the value. But you can't see the value until you see its price. You can't see the value of freedom until you know Someone died to give that. And again, in the case of national liberty, multitudes have died. In the case of our spiritual liberty, one died. It's hard to appreciate value, the value of freedom, until you know its price. And secondly, until you know the reality of the alternative. It's hard to, again, See the value of freedom 
until you know what the alternative is. Loss, bondage. And I've, I've never known that. I've read stories, I've read history. Uh, you know, you, you read about the pilgrims, you read about what was going on, you read about the tyranny that, w- that they were under, the oppression. You read about those things and, and that's what it is. As much as you wanna try to put yourself in their shoes and, and say, man, it must have been really bad. It must have been really ugly. I, 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 I don't know what it is. Uh, we can't know that. We have brothers and sisters around the world in other countries where they don't have religious freedom. And they have to meet and gather in different ways than what we are gathering and meeting right now. Again, it's, it's hard to appreciate the value of freedom until you know the reality of the alternative. So this morning, the life point I think that we need to remember and that we need to think about this week and and take with us for the rest of our lives is this. Freedom is a precious gift not to be taken for granted. Freedom is a precious gift not to be taken for granted. Again, personal freedom, national freedom, and most importantly, spiritual freedom. Galatians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it's going to be on the screen. It says, tell me, verse 21, you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? Paul's talking to the Galatians. The Galatians had been freed, but they had been influenced by the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who said, hey, it's fine. You have your your Christianity. You're going to follow Jesus, but you still got to do the law. You got to still carry out all these these rites and ceremonies uh, to be truly saved. And so there were many of the Galatians that were deceived, that were fooled. Uh, Paul used the word bewitched. You know, you were tricked. Um, to think that you could start a relationship with God in a spiritual way and then you complete it by doing works in the, in the flesh or works of the law. And so he says, tell me, you desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. We know that's Hagar and Sarah. Hagar was Sarah's handmaiden. We already talked about this. We went through this. This is part of the video that that Joseph was watching, you know, in our study as we've gone along. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Again, referring to to Sarah. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Again, talking about how one was of the flesh, one was of uh, through, through sin, one was of mankind. The other was through promise, it was through faith, it was entrusted only in God. And he said, one, it may look like one is the one that's going to bring about what's necessary, but it doesn't happen like that. It happens God's way, through God's promises. Now, you, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as, as that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him, talking about Ishmael, who was born according to the Spirit, so also is it now. Those who are born of the flesh persecute those who are born of the Spirit. Again, it's even in uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people even today. Uh, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but the free woman. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, 
and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say unto you that if, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And that was the main, one of the main points of the Judaizers. It was this rite of circumcision that was given to Abraham. And so uh, they said, you know what? So they said, you know, this is what, uh, Abraham, sorry. They said that uh, you, this is what you have to do in order to be right with God. This rite of cir- circumcision shows that you have, uh, the excess has been cut off. And, and so Paul in the spiritual says, you know what? This is, this is where you're going wrong. This is, this is what you're, you're, you're thinking that you can still do it by works. So if you think that you can do it by works, if you think that you can be set free, if you think that you can be forgiven, if you think that you can be righteous, if you think that you can go to heaven, if you think you can have a relationship with God by things that you can do, then Christ is no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Because if you say, I've got to fulfill the law to be right with God, then you've got to keep the whole law. Because the Bible says if you offend in one part, you offend all. And so it says you, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For not, that you've, not that you've experienced this grace in, in a relationship with him, but it's, it's no use to you. For through the Spirit, by faith, we, are, we, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. You were running well. Here's where he says it. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And he says this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence. So this is what he's saying. You know, you, 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 you have somebody influencing you and saying that, that it's fine. You can have your Jesus, but you still got to have the law. And he says, he says, listen, that type of false doctrine, that type of, uh, of errant thinking and, and, and belief and teaching, it corrupts the whole thing. You may not think it's a big deal, but it means everything. A little leaven ruins the whole lump. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? I'm not like them. In, the, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would, be, would emasculate themselves. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if you know what he's saying, but he's talking about this issue of circumcision, Okay. And he's saying that there are people that are coming around and teaching that you have to observe this. And when they're saying this, they're saying that's the only way to be righteous with God is to observe this rite of circumcision. And he says this, but in Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. But they're affecting you. They're messing with your minds. They're messing with your hearts. They're trying to pull you away from sound doctrine and for, from the grace of God that, that was given to us through Jesus Christ, from salvation, through the cross, the offense of the cross. They're doing these things, and they're, they're, they're making me mad, Paul said. So mad, I want them to emasculate themselves. That means cut themselves off. Let that sit for a second. Especially you guys. But that's what Paul was saying. That's the, and even, uh, there, there's not only the physical side to it, but it's also the spiritual side. They were troubling the people of God with this false doctrine. And look what he says. For you who were called to freedom, brothers, 
You, you, you were not called to be enslaved to bondage. You, you were not called to be a son of the slave woman. You're not a, slave, a son of the slave woman. You're not in the flesh. You're not redeemed by works of the flesh. You're not righteous through things that you can do yourself. You're righteous because of what Jesus did. Period. So don't be pulled back into that. You are free. And you've been called to freedom. But then he says this. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. That's what your freedom is for. So that's why I said a while ago, there's so many people who think that, or misunderstand, misuse, abuse freedom in this country and freedom as Christians. And they, and they write off, well, God, just, no. We've been given freedom not to do as we please, not to approach God as we think we, that we should, we, not that we should serve God or, or, or anything else like we should. We've been given freedom not for ourselves, but for others. Think about that. I've been set free. You've been set free so that you can serve other people. And so I don't like that. Take it up with God. I don't, know. I don't know what to say. That's why we've been given freedom. But it's the same sentiment that the pilgrims had when they, when they, when they had that, that statement that they wanted to put on Plymouth Rock. And they said, listen, the price that was paid to bring freedom to this country, let it be remembered by every generation that there was a cost, there was a price, there's a value. And it's not so that you can just sit back in your comfortable lives and, and just do whatever you want to do, disregarding future generations disregarding other people in your life you've been giving the, given this and with this blessing of freedom you've been given a responsibility to make sure other generations experience the same freedom now let's remember that was primarily about freedom to worship God their own way they had in mind that spiritual freedom that, 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 that liberty to worship God so when we say I'm a Christian and we live in America, that should mean that we are daily devoting ourselves to preserving freedom for future generations, spiritual freedom, that we are daily giving ourselves to serve others in love so that they can experience the same exact thing that we experience, freedom in Christ. You've, you've been called to freedom, brothers. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You want to know what, you, you, you're talking about circumcision, you're talking about all these rites and all these things that are happening. Listen, this is how you fulfill the law of God, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. What was verse 13? Use your freedom to serve other people with love. Because here's how you're going to accomplish God's will. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our theme this year is others over self. You know what that means? Much like those who are, who are coming across on the Mayflower who said, you know what, we could come and we could say, we're just going to build our own little village and we're just going to live here and do what we want to do and then die. That wasn't their vision. They wanted freedom for themselves, for their children, for their children's children, for generations, for anybody else who would come over to experience the blessings that they experienced. How selfish of us as Christians who've been set free from, from sin who are free in Christ to say, listen, my life is good. I, I've got things the way I want. 
Why do I have to focus on whether other people are set free or not? Why do I need to be so consumed with what other people need or not? Why do I need to be so focused on serving other people and sacrificing, from, sacrificing myself? I, when is it going to be my time? Now's your time. Now's the time to enjoy the freedoms and the blessings in Christ and in this nation. But not just to soak up yourself, but to use it for others. He goes on to say, because if you, if you don't live like this, and you are consumed with you, and you are consumed with a, a selfish lifestyle and, and tearing other people just out for you, what ends up happening is become self-destructive. And he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you don't consume yourselves. We must remember, freedom is a gift, not an entitlement. Freedom's a gift. There's not one person in here, and I, I know that... Um, uh, we have people, as I, as I said, who have served our military, and some of you may have lost, but listen, it's been handed down. It's not that the people who are currently serving uh, all, all of a sudden gave us freedom. They're preserving it. They're sacrificing. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. They're, you and I are, are, are beneficiaries from somebody else saying I'm going to use my spiritual liberty to serve others. Whether it was in a church service with, with somebody invited you to, or you said, well, I was raised in church, I didn't have a choice. No, that's your parents making that decision. Thinking about you, this is right for my kids, this is right. They need to know the same freedom in Christ that we know. Somebody knocked on your door, somebody told you at work, somebody, whoever, a family member, uh, uh, again, in a, in a message or whatever, it was given to you. Salvation, freedom, it's a gift. It's not an entitlement. We as Christians need to stop living as entitled people. Because I'm not living as entitled. Are you sharing the gift of the gospel with other people regularly? If you're not, you're living like an entitled American Christian. I've got what I need, and I don't need to share it with anybody else. I got it. And I want more. I want more blessings, God, because I want health. I want wealth. I want, I want fun. I want excitement. Yeah, you gave me that gift. I know I'm going to heaven, but I want more. That's the entitlement. But, but see, here's the deal. National freedom, personal freedom, spiritual freedom, they are gifts. You handle gifts differently than you do entitlements. Especially if your heart's right. See, I put this in the notes. When you expect something because of what you've done, you tend to have a more selfish attitude on it, right? What happens if you work hard all week long at your job and at the end of the week they say, sorry, no check. <laughs> Good job, though. <laughs> How do you approach that? You know, okay, well, that's cool, you know. <laughs> We're good, you know. It was a fun week, you know. No, you have a more selfish attitude when it's something that you've done. You say, listen, this is what I'm, I am owed. This is what I deserve. I worked for this. Give it to me. 
It's not right of you to do that. If you knew you couldn't pay me, you shouldn't ask me to do the job. We have a selfish more. And you said, but that's right. To, uh, 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 labor is worthy of us hire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, when we work for something, we have the expectation. We have the entitlement mentality. But when you receive something, in spite of what you've done, when you have not worked for it, most people with right hearts tend to have a more selfless attitude. When something's given to you, it's just different. Right? That's the picture of God's gift to us. Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to try to hurry and be done with this. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, listen to this, we should not serve sin. For he that's dead is, is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. He doesn't have to keep dying. He died once, he rose from the dead, then death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died to sin one time. He was the sacrifice one time. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to, uh, to be dead indeed to sin. You're dead to sin. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin have reign in your body. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But yield. You make the choice to yield yourselves unto God. As those that are alive, uh, alive from the dead. And your members. Your body parts as instruments of righteousness to God. Because sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not in the law, but under grace? He says, absolutely not. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to, yourself servants to obey. Listen, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were, you were, listen, you were the servants of sin. You were in bondage, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. It was given to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. In Galatians chapter 3, he says this, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He goes on to say that this, this is something that you were done, that, that was done for you. You were given a gift. Down in verse 8, he says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You, before you were gods, when you didn't know him, you were enslaved to things like money. You were enslaved to things like professional and, 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 and personal ambition. You were enslaved to things like material stuff and, and accolades and, and prizes. When, before you, were, you knew God, you, you had all of these things that, that were your gods, he said. But by nature, they're not gods. They're not God at all. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world right. whose slaves you want to be once more? He's telling them, why in the world, if you've been set free and you've been given this gift of freedom to serve other people, to live for God and to live for others, to put others over self, why in the world would you ever want to turn back to the same bondage, the bondage of sin? Not only the bondage of sin, but the bondage of, of material things, of money, of, 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 of prestige, of, of fame, of whatever. Why would you ever turn back to things that aren't even God's? Those who know freedom can be guilty of underestimating the misery of bondage. 
but also those who know only bondage can be guilty of underestimating the joy of freedom. So if somebody's in darkness, they don't really know what it is to, to be free. If they're in bondage, that's all they know is bondage. But sometimes when we've been free so long, especially Christians, spiritually speaking, we can forget the misery that bondage brings. It's only when someone truly understands what freedom is that you can desire that. However, those who have been set free from sin and spiritually set free, we can fall prey to forgetting that sin is a taskmaster. For those who are in spiritual bondage this morning, maybe all you, again, you, all you know is being the servants of sin. This morning, you may see the benefit of surrendering your life to Christ. You may think, man, I'm free right now. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live how I want to live. Listen, all you can see is, is that, and that, that's bondage. Unless you realize what bondage means and what it's going to take, take you to, you'll stay there, and it'll cost you your life. You'll never see the value of being set free from Christ. In John chapter 8, the servant abideth not in the house of forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you should be free indeed. It's only through Christ you can be set free. This morning, let's remember the great price paid for our freedoms. National freedoms, personal freedoms, again, most importantly, spiritual freedoms. If you're here today and you're saved, and you know you've been set free from sin, you know you have spiritual freedom. You've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, let's be reminded, and let's remind each other not to take that spiritual freedom for granted. Let's remember that was a gift. And it was a gift given, and we handle gifts differently than we do entitlements. This gift that we've been given of freedom in Christ, we're supposed to be using it to ensure that other people are set free. Not just... I want more, I want more, me, me, me. But if you've not been set free from sin, if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Christ, today is that day. Make it that day. There's been a price that's been paid, just as Judah offered himself up and said, listen, let him go free, and I'll pay his price. There was a price paid for all of our sin, and it was Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus took your place for what you deserve. He paid the price. He rose from the grave. And again, he has life to offer, a gift, freedom, if you'll accept it. And I pray you'll do that. If you need to do that this morning, there'll be two ministers down here. You can come down here, and they'll show you out of God's word what that looks like even more. And today can be the day that you go from being in bondage to sin, which the, the, the wages of sin is death, taking you to an eternal torment in hell. You can be set free from that, and be given eternal life to live with God forever after this world. You gotta make a choice though. You gotta receive the gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for this reminder this morning. Freedom is a, is a precious gift not to be taken for granted. Lord, this week as we're celebrating our national independence, I pray that we would be reminded of, of what the, the pilgrims' vision was, even as they scripted on that rock that we would 
appreciate the liberty we've been given in such a way that we would live to make sure others experience it as well. Most, most specifically, freedom to worship you. So God, help us, again, to not take it for granted and to rightly use the liberty that we have in Christ. And that is to serve others in love, to put others ahead of us, to not live for our own comfort, to not live for our own preference, to not live for our own desires, to not live for our own uh, world that we create for ourselves, but to live for you and to make sure that others experience that relationship with you as well. God, help us handle freedom rightly. We ask you to move now in this invitation in Jesus' name.